0: Welcome back to Fantastic Voyage, the David Bowie podcast. I'm Jesse.
1: And I'm John.
0: Today we are talking about the Isolar 2 Tour. It's kind of hard to say. The Isolar 2 Tour. I was
1: wondering if we should maybe (laughs) call it the Stage Tour. The
0: Stage Tour, that works. Uh,
1: Just because it's more, uh, it it makes it easier to just know what we're talking about, I want to say. When I was reading Nicholas Pegg's book not too long ago, he had like a, a chapter, you know, dedicated to this tour. And he called it the stage tour kind of for that same reason. I kind of like that. Yeah. The the stage tour. It works. Also called the 1978 World Tour. Right, yeah. It's a very long one.
0: Yeah. uh, Let's get right into it. 76 shows, to be precise. uh, Started in March of 78. And he did a leg, or I guess two legs, in North America and then finished up in Europe. And then for the next, like, five or six months, he took a break or something like that. So I think he restarted again in the, I think it was November. I've got it written down somewhere here. November, yeah, he restarted in November in Australia uh, to hit New Zealand and then Japan to close things out.
1: Australia show was the biggest one to date, maybe, or something? I well, was...
0: he, that makes sense, because I read that he, it was the first time he did, an out, like, a huge outdoor gig. Yeah. So he's probably playing stadiums out there. Mm-hmm. His first time playing there, I believe, as well. So they were probably thirsty to see him yeah. in Oceana. Yeah, you know what I just realized? This time of year reminds me of when we started the podcast. We are, so I, so I looked at it, and by the time this podcast airs, it'll be just around the first anniversary of our first episode. It was, in, it was in the July 13th it came out.
1: Happy first birthday to us.
0: Yeah. Uh, we've come a long way in a year. Uh, we talked to Mike Garson last weekend or two weekends ago. I never in a million years would have thought that starting a little podcast in our <laughs> you know, during lockdown over Zoom, yeah. that a year later we'd be zooming with the great Mike Garson. Well,
1: the craziest part about that to me was that uh, when we reached out to him, he gave us what, like an email for his publicist or something like that. And when his publicist uh, got back to you, the publicist said, oh yeah, you know, it's a uh, great, uh, Mike would love to be on the show. We're big fans of what you guys are doing. And we're like, wait a minute, like, what do you, like, <laughs> You're you listening? know who we are?
0: Yeah, but he listened to the Aladdin Sane episodes, which is cool.
1: There is, I've noticed, I mean, over the past year that there is like this tight-knit Bowie community online. So I guess, you know, I don't think we're like mega famous or anything, but I think we've made like a splash in said community and, uh, we have all of you to thank for that. So thank you very much for listening to our our crazy show. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, back to the Isler 2, or the Stage Tour. Produced uh, a couple of noteworthy things. Obviously the official live album, Stage. Uh, a bootleg that kind of became a Record Store Day release, which we'll talk about later. And a lot of great live footage. Um Bowie recorded apparently every show for his own personal use. Uh, Not video, but uh, audio, which is really interesting. All the bands said, yeah, we were mic'd up every single night, or Mm -hmm. he was recording every single night. Interesting that he was thinking, I want to, you know, document this. Maybe because so much had been lost and, you know, never to be found again on previous tours.
1: There's just definitely a different energy to this whole tour, like, uh, did you watch that German TV program that he did? Uh, Music Lady? Music Lady, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. That one in particular, you look at him, he's, he's just happy, smiling with the band, uh, they're all laughing, you know, it just looks like they're having a lot of fun. The songs are all kind of done in a, a laid back and happy fashion. Um,
0: the way that he, he's smiling after doing Sense of Doubt, which starts it, and then he's got <laughs> this big smile on his face after, and you don't really see that coming up after doing seems that like, song.
1: Yeah, he's like in a I feel like a better place. Uh,
0: Definitely. He looks healthy. He looks great on this tour. He's yeah. like peak like human. <laughs> uh, he just looks awesome on it. He, he looks a lot better than he did on the Isler 1 tour. That's for sure.
1: Yeah, he still looked like shit back then, like 76, 70. I mean, 74, 75, 76, some of the worst years of any rock star's life, but.
0: Yeah, he looked cool, but not good, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, and like Lodger, like the music videos in that era, I think he's starting to look maybe at his like coolest yeah, you could probably say that's like his hottest period. Or I mean, he's you know been a good-looking guy his entire life, but yeah, he just looks like he's in good spirits. He looks good. He looks well. He looks healthy, and he looks like he's having fun. He's happy. There's healthy spirits on top of a, a healthy uh, body image as well. He's just uh, yeah, he's just living his best life it seems during this part. So I, I think maybe that's part of why he was recording all of this. He's kind of just soaking it all in. Maybe I don't know. But yeah,
0: and cool. Back to that music laden thing. That is such an interesting venue it was part like so that was part of uh it was a a tv show that would have multiple like guests on and they would do an hour or whatever so it was a shortened version of the tour set list but uh he did it at a place called the beat club in bremen i guess northern germany and it's like a small restaurant kind of lounge feel It's like the type of place where you'd almost expect Bowie to walk around the tables afterwards and reminding us to tip our waiters, you know, (laughs) we're here till Thursday, try the veal kind of place, you know, and I just like, if I could maybe attend one concert of Bowie's, like that would have been it, even though it was a truncated version of the tour set list, but just that. That vibe, and it was just like he's playing like a pub almost.
1: Well, yeah, it was a more intimate setting, so yeah, maybe you miss out on another third of the songs or whatever. But what it needs you to be
0: more, maybe. But
1: but what yeah. you're lacking in quantity, you're making up for in intimacy mm. in this case.
0: Yeah, I love that recording. Okay. Uh, the performance of heroes on that is okay. <laughs> particularly good. Like it might be the best performance of heroes ever. I I'm gonna play a clip right here of this. He just goes for it in this one section. I don't think he ever, he he maybe did that again later, but he does all the verses in this one with the proper breaks in between and the outro is great. And, you know, it's supporting the album and the song that just kind of came out. So it's what a time capsule that is.
1: Yeah, I love that version of Heroes too. I think it's actually, it's the best live version I've ever heard of it. And I actually, I didn't know that this existed until maybe yesterday or two days ago when I was just, you know, looking for footage so, you know, for things to talk about for this episode. And I I was blown away. I mean, it's a little more of a a lighthearted or joyous vocal, right? Uh, It's not trying to be the original, but it is still a very pure and from the heart performance and. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's the best live version I've seen of it to date.
0: Yeah. Eno was supposed to join the entire tour, but he had a health issue. I don't know what it is. I didn't look into it, but apparently he had to pull out. Oh. Yeah.
1: I, for some reason, I thought that that was just because he didn't like the idea of touring. But oh, maybe no, maybe, uh, or maybe uh, he doesn't sick. like the idea of touring when he's <laughs> definitely so ill. He said he,
0: or, yeah, or maybe that was his excuse. Uh, I'm not feeling well. So the band that is uh, on the entire tour... Which would go on to create Lodger after this too. He kind of kept the the band all together. Is band leader uh, Carlos Alomar, uh, and apparently he was the guardian of the tapes that Bowie. He, he recorded them all, and Bowie tasked Alomar with, okay, you gotta look after these, make sure they don't get leaked or whatever.
1: Probably the longest-serving, most trusted musician at this point, right? Yeah, I think so. Of this current group. Of this anyway. group, yeah. yeah Um, because when they introduce him on music late and when Bowie introduces him he goes and of course I think Alomar and they kind of gets like an applause like everyone I think at this point knows Alomar yeah
0: Yeah. Mark Platty didn't do a good job of guarding the tapes did you ever hear that story was it hours that got leaked or no toy it was toy that got leaked not hours yeah his laptop got stolen and there was all this conspiracy like he did it on purpose or something Alomar wouldn't have done that (laughs) (laughs) George Murray Dennis Davis they're back. Uh, Simon House on Electric Violin. Yes, you heard that correctly. Uh, Roger Powell on Synth. And Sean Mays on Piano. Makes up the, the rest of the band.
1: And, and the band, I can't stress this enough, is great. I mean, when yeah. we talked to Garson, he talked about Bowie being the ultimate casting director. And we always say on this show, Bowie surrounds himself with the right people. We've probably said it 20 times by now. And it, it makes even more sense when you hear Garson talk about it, uh, you know, because he mentioned that the reason things always worked to perfection was because Bowie let the guys do whatever the fuck they wanted. You know, you watch Adrian Ballou doing his thing during these 1978 shows, and it's like, okay, that's unlike anything Bowie's ever had out of a guitarist before. Uh, you know, he is somewhat playing under Bowie's direction, but ultimately that's Ballou's own unique swagger and trickery he's bringing to the table you, you can't just replace him and get the same thing he sounds like it well it's like machinery rather than a guitar when he's yeah, playing yeah right? it, it's, it is uh, yeah you're right it's very unique to him and it's amazing and bowie knew and trusted the guy to be amazing so he just lets him rip and you get these incredible versions of songs like stay or the gene genie with just mind-boggling, cutting edge, and noisy <laughs> noisy a, guitar it's playing. It's a
0: different version of the Gene Genie, that's for
1: sure. <laughs> and then, you know, you have Alomar adding his danceable rhythm section, uh, Murray playing incredibly funky scales on the bass. Uh, well, like, man, what a diverse and incredible band. I mean, it's no wonder Bowie's shit always sounded so great. His casting was fantastic.
0: Yeah. They put together an album. Uh, called Stage. Uh, it was recorded over three three nights in Philadelphia, Boston, and Providence. Uh, they were originally going to do it at Madison Square Garden, but they demanded a fee or too much money or something. They wanted, I don't know if they wanted royalties or what. It was too expensive, so they said, well, no, we'll do it somewhere where we don't have to pay for that. And it's unlike previous live albums of his and many live albums uh, definitely leading up to that point. Where they, So what they did was they, they just took direct feeds and recorded them straight from the soundboard, essentially. So when Visconti, who mixed it, went to work, he had really, really clean tracks to work with. Uh, he had extra microphones in the crowd to bring in more crowd noise, which he actually had to get rid of because there were jeers during some of the instrumentals that they thought, well, we don't want any of this kind of ruining the vibe of, you know, War's Hour or whatever, you get a boo or something <laughs> halfway through. Uh, but it results in a very like hi-fi live album. Uh, it can be debated whether or not that's a good thing or, or, or not. Uh, and in this particular case, I'm not too fond of stage the album. I think it just sounds a little bit too manufactured. It doesn't sound like a live album. Some of the, there aren't enough variations, maybe of some of the tracks as well. Like the, some of them are played like almost verbatim. Even the, you know, the low and the heroes instrumentals. I don't know. Something about stage just doesn't click for me.
1: Well, I, I liked like initially in preparation for this episode, I was listening to stage and I was like, all right, this this is good, you know, this is cool. But uh, I think we both see eye to eye on this. Uh, once I got around to the Welcome to the Blackout album that came out for Record Store Day, which was. Uh, live in London 1978 I think it was uh, performed at Earl's Court yes that uh, to me just blows stage out of the water and you know I still think stage is a fine recording that's not even necessarily uh, to to diss that album but the I don't know what it is I, I think maybe because the Welcome to the Blackout album was like recorded at the end of the first leg of the tour you almost have like this end of tour high going on and Bowie's kind of He's mingling with the crowd a bit more. They're they're doing uh, songs that they actually hadn't hadn't even done before, like the sound and vision. Apparently, he. It's the only time he did it. And he looked yeah. over to them and was like, you guys remember this from earlier? You guys remember how to do this one? And they were like, yeah, I guess so. And then they just he went, well, here's one we haven't done before. Yeah. And they they you know they they burst into this very energetic performance of that song. And you know, there's a lot more moments like that on the album where it just seems like it's a, a celebratory event. And I, I when I listen to it, I just. I almost kind of want to be there with them and, you know, celebrating at a pub or something at the end of the show because it's just a way more energetic and lively performance, I find.
0: So you texted me last night, worth listening to this, and I, I almost didn't respond. Because
1: yeah, you didn't, and then I was like, well, I'll send him another text. Yeah. I was like, I
0: prefer this. So <laughs> I mentioned, like, oh, yeah, sound and vision. Like, you know, like, in other words, like... Trying not to say too much. Trying not to say too much. Yeah. This quickly upon my first listen of it... I didn't listen to it on record store day. It was 2018. It came out. I didn't. I didn't buy. It. I wish I would have. Bold statement. I think this is my favorite Bowie live recording of, of all time.
1: Oh, nice.
0: It yeah. it um something about the end, like you everything that you described. But not only that, it's it's the Ziggy suite that he does uh, in the middle of it. That is just so. Some, so basically he does a bunch of new newer songs and some, you know, he does Gene Genie and Fame. and Then he ends up doing an intermission. And then after the intermission, he introduces the band and then goes into uh, Five Years, Soul Love, Star, uh, Hang On To Yourself, Ziggy Stardust, and then Suffragette City. And he actually had the whole, had the band rehearse the entire album and they would, you know, rehearse or warm up with all of them so that he could pull from any of them that he wanted and he, they did mm-hmm. do other songs I think they did Rock and Roll Suicide a few times on the tour there were a few that they never did end up playing but they were ready to play them mm-hmm. at, at a drop of a hat kind of thing and he hadn't played those live in a while, you know, like the majority of them I don't think he had ever played Soul Lo- Love before this and it's such a great version of it too the, the guitar solo by
1: Blue is just out of this world is he using like a talk box? That almost sounds like it. Well, the thing with Billie's playing is I don't know if it's him half the time or not. So, you know, yeah, you know, exa- like, it, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I, I can explain what it sounds like because I don't even know if it's him half the time. Or the, the
0: the way that the Ziggy riff is played with a synth. like
1: That's, that's a, cool. I thought that was the electric violin doing it. Or that. maybe that, uh, yeah, 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 exactly. You well, and don't even know what it is. That's the beauty is. of that's this beauty band, of right? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Is that you don't know who's making what noise.
0: And, and you talked about letting the guys loose and, and play whatever they want. Those really haunting li- riffs that come through on Ziggy Stardust. But it made it so far Became the special man Then we were Ziggy's band Ziggy really sang Screwed up eyes and Screwed down hairdo like some cat from Japan He could make a by smiley. He could leave him to hang. Game on so loaded man Well, a harmony so I tan Oh, the spiders? While the fly tried to like it's just he totally made up a new like riff on a song that's kind of famous for it's
1: riff it's riff, it's riff. Yeah, exactly
0: <laughs> and then he gets back into you know TVC15 and actually no he he starts off with Art Decade after it's kind of like ran right after Suffragette <laughs> City where him and Alomar sound like they sound like macho almost they're really aggressive on the vocals on it and then it goes into Art Decade and then it's kind of like okay back to this stuff i just love the ups and downs that 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 performance gives um contrary to stage which was not in sequential yeah, yeah, order that's so stupid they decided visconti thought it would be a good idea to do it chronological so it started with the ziggy suite which isn't how it was live normally and then they do like they did in order they did you know uh like rebel rebel and then Fame and then, or Gene Genie was in there somewhere. And they, I don't know. It just doesn't work. And, and it's there was cut like the ambient
1: side, and then the rock songs from the new album side, and yeah, it's just it was weird. I mean, they got
0: the whole soundscape on one side thing out, which was kind of neat, I guess. But you know, every time it was re released, they kept adding more songs to it. Like they they added Alabama song and Be My Wife on the first re release, and then I think Stay and. Gene Genie or something on the second time it was re-released. And then eventually for the New Career in a New Town box set, they ended up putting it in uh, concert order. So they, you know, it was obviously a flib to begin
1: with. Concert order is just, I mean, that's that's the best way to listen to this. It's right? a live album, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. um, so that's interesting that you think that this is your favorite Bowie live album because it, it's... For the ones that we've kind of covered so far, it's definitely my top two. I I don't think it's number one. I still think I would probably go Santa Monica 72 as my favorite this far. And I do ultimately think that that Ziggy Suite you were talking about, I do think those songs are best captured live in that setting. Uh, Oh, yeah. They're a little more sloppy, right? They have that jagged proto-punk edge to them. And so I don't adore the musicianship the way I did on the, the Santa Monica album. You know, these are much more kind of polished renditions. But at the same time, that sort of works because the context in which these songs are being performed in is different, right? Like, I think at this point, 1978, you hear a real affinity for Bowie's old material, right? Like, And when you're a creator, you're usually over with something as soon as you finished it right you're just on to the next thing like a lot of times the artists will actually they'll even they'll make a record and then they like it's kind of they don't even want to tour it because they're already working on the next thing right so uh and Bowie is the biggest example right. of, of this right and when you're done one thing you're on to the next thing but I think like by 1978 enough time had passed to make the old material of his uh something pleasant for him to look back at and to pay it a homage to and You know, all the songs on this tour, like I kind of mentioned before, they're they're done in this more kind of laid-back and happy fashion. So while I might prefer the Santa Monica arrangements to these, I'm glad that they weren't trying to recreate that and that they did them in this kind of more nostalgic way because they're great alternatives to those original performances.
0: It's a retrospective. Like, he's looking back. So, yeah, when you say that the Santa Monica and now I'm thinking about it, I'm like, oh, I love that. It's a great time capsule. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. And then thinking about these recordings of those songs in particular, it makes you miss Mick and Trevor and Woody and Mike. You know, it makes, well, not Garson yet, but, you know, it makes you miss the spiders, essentially. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe Bowie almost missed them. He's, he's, he's ready to revisit it again. Yeah. And he's going, let's see how we can, let's let's, let's try it again, you know, or let's, let's bring it back. And I think it's neat that they chose to—he chose to do just Ziggy songs. He didn't do anything from Hunky Dory. He was going. I want to bring Ziggy back for a little bit, you know. Like maybe I killed him off prematurely, or maybe that was, yeah. Oh no, not, not that far. But he was going. It's it's time. It's time to resurrect this character and these songs because, yeah, song like Soul Love. I, I absolutely love that song, and I'm glad that that's one that he decided to play a lot too. It's one of those things where we say, oh, when Bowie picks a song and we like it too, it's like, oh you know, confirmation almost.
1: I also think too, like, if you want that 72 Santa Monica sound, it's sort of like, sorry, you, you kind of had to be there, right? Right. Yeah, uh, Yeah, that's right. But at, at the same time, he's kind of going now, I guess, like, okay, well, uh, you know, th- this is a great period in my career, you know, it, it transcended me to stardom and it made me the artist I am today. And so now these performances, they, be, they become like this this very pleasant uh Ode to the past, right? Yeah, that's what I think makes these performances so special. Is that it's uh, it's him looking back on what you know turned him into a star, and I think that's I think that's probably why he chose these ones and kind of dropped you know f- when he was doing older stuff, at the, he was kind of doing changes. I think he dropped changes from his uh, his live repertoire at this point, and Life on Mars, right? Yeah, and he's kind of going, you know, what we're gonna we're gonna do an ode to Ziggy, we're gonna do an ode to uh, what brought me here. And I think that's a a very fascinating and sort of almost like a heartwarming thing. It it tugs at your heartstrings a bit. Well,
0: and when he talked about it, I think maybe a year or two later, he said this was not a ploy to, you know, throw a bone to his fans that were only there for the early stuff. Mm -hmm. Because you could easily make, you know, jump to that conclusion when you take into consideration that he's playing like five or six pure instrumental tracks at a rock show you know, you, you don't get sense of Doubt and Warzawa at uh, live at Santa Monica, so but you know three quarters of the crowd is probably going there kind of wanting a width of a circle and a crazy guitar solo and all that kind of stuff. So it's it's easy to jump to that conclusion that hey yeah he's going to play some Ziggy stuff to please those fans. But he said no like this is something that I wanted to do for for me. This is a personal choice. This isn't to please anybody. So yeah, it's it's just confirming what you said kind of.
1: It's also very interesting uh, for him to revisit a song like Star, seeing as he lived that out. (laughs) right? Yeah, Uh, totally. I can fall asleep at night as a rock and roll star. And it's like, well, hmm, can you? (laughs)
0: Because,
1: you know, he he didn't for for a while there. You know, he was having a hard time uh, living the rock and roll lifestyle. So it's kind of funny to see him look back at that. You know, when he was performing it back then, he... Maybe he had somewhat of an idea of what was to happen, but he didn't live it out like he had since then. So I, I kind of appreciate that aspect of it too.
0: And they do the outro. They make you think like they're not going to, that great outro to that song. And then he does it, even with the watch me now. But
1: well, we did watch you. <laughs> it was, you mentioned Sense of Doubt. Uh, something that actually stood out to me when I was watching the live footage for that song, I think there's a... This might be the one from Japan, or maybe it's the show in Dallas. I think it might be the Dallas show. Yeah, it is the Dallas show. It's on YouTube. There's clips from a Dallas show. And I I love watching the way the crowd was reacting during the song. Like, during some of the silent parts, you could hear them cheering so enthusiastically. Like, Bowie's standing there, right? Lights off, spotlight on him. He's looking so serious and he's looking so cool, you know, without really trying to, you know, the classic Bowie thing. And. Part of what makes a good performer a good performer, in my opinion, is how they get the crowd to react. And the cheering is kind of mixed out of the album version, right? We don't really hear the cheer. They kind of mix they're, it all They're out. scared
0: there's going to be a jeer. So. Yeah.
1: But the cheers, I, I found, were there more than, more than jeers. And the cheers were very loud. And it, it floors me that Bowie could get a crowd to react so enthusiastically. To a song this risky, yeah. So I, I do think it is kind of important to capture that aspect of the performance. It's kind of some, maybe one of my minor gripes with the the live recordings that came out on like CD and that, because I, I think it takes a tremendous talent to pull that off, and I, I believe it showcases Bowie's talent as a performer a little bit better. Now. I, I guess you said v- Visconti mentioned like there's a boo at the beginning of sense of doubt or something I think I've read that too I, maybe he mixed it out or whatever or maybe it, it's in there and I wasn't listening close
0: enough I think what happened was for stage uh, the, the the album they he fed in the crowd noise at the beginnings of songs and at the yeah. ends of songs just to like hey, see it's a live album remember because yeah. the, the fidelity is so high quality that it's <laughs> you almost forget
1: <laughs> and it, when you think of like booze during sense of doubt, it's something that we would naturally expect, right? Like, oh yeah, you know, there there was booze for the ambient pieces, you know, that the crowd just didn't get it, man. It was too heavy for them, but... It's not necessarily the case. No, yeah. And I think it's important to highlight just how many people did get it, you know, Mm -hmm. because it was nearly all of them. And I I think that's a testament to David Bowie and his ability to perform. Uh, His audience has such a trust in him. You know, his fans, they just trust his vision and he's doing these non-pop pieces to a pop audience, and they love it. Uh, It's remarkable. It's really remarkable. So I kind of, I mean, maybe this is also why I don't really listen to live albums. I kind of like to watch them more than anything, because I think this is a very kind of important thing uh, to to watch.
0: Yeah. Yeah, there's great footage out there of this tour, which is, it's a lot of fun. You can can go down the YouTube rabbit hole with this. (laughs) Hours will pass. I think... It's not a different. I'm getting my versions because I've seen so many versions of each song of this and listened to them a a lot Mm -hmm. in the last few weeks. And there's one version of Sense of Doubt, and I think it's on the Welcome to the Blackout, where that part where I said where, you know, the the respite comes and then disappears again, like it actually gets cut off by the doom, 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 like in the middle of it. (laughs) And I don't think it was accidental. I think it was. I think it was incidental and it, it makes it uh, yeah it, it just kind of you know highlights that point that I was talking about on on Heroes I love that it's a particularly good version of that song too like it's scary especially the way it just starts like it feels like you're in a gothic castle or a dungeon or something like you can just get transported there right after doing like I don't know what it was like Gene Genie or something
1: yeah, I think it was Blackout but sim, I, it was and then Gene Genie before that. Gene Genie
0: yeah. before Blackout. And I love the way after Gene Genie, during that intro to Blackout, he says, welcome to the Blackout. Yeah. It's like he's feeling it. He's excited to be there. He's excited to be doing this song. And apparently, it was one of the shows in France. Uh, they blew a PA in the middle, of, and it caused a, de- a delay. Like, they blew a huge speaker, and they had to stop the concert, and it was during Blackout. So, fitting. They had a... You know, maybe not a blackout, but <laughs> they had a blowout
1: during blackout. I, I think that the version of blackout is, is stellar, oh, too. Oh, it's like phenomenal. That, I, mean, I, I don't know, <laughs> dare I say, like, the definitive version? I mean, I, I'll have to A-B them, Ugh. but, like, it, it is, like, especially compared to the stage version. The stage version's still fine, but this... the I mean, they, they called this, like, or this, this album Welcome to the Blackout because of this song, I think, and how good it was, right? Yeah. It's kind of got a more frantic delivery from Bowie. He's kind of doing the parts more manically, more louder. He kind of sounds like he's, you know, really living through the, you know, the, the crazy times that he's depicting. The, the The guitar playing seems to be a lot more frenetic and frantic too. There's just an incredible energy to that performance, which, uh, I mean, yeah, there's a reason it was a title track, I think, for that album, or just because of how, yeah, how, how much of a standout it was. Well, and,
0: you know, stage... Or, welcome to the blackout. Like, come, on, <laughs> that's, come yeah. on. That is so good. Yeah. You know, as soon as I heard welcome to the blackout for the first time, it was like, I just I remember thinking, like, I'll never listen to stage again. And then, you know, we started a podcast and I, I did for the sake of it. But it's to me, it's the definitive live Recording yeah, of this they, of this period. That's it's for not sure. the definitive
1: version of the song. The definitive live performance. It kind of blows the.
0: Or scene. I mean, I mean, the the album is the definitive oh, album yeah. well, of the period. That too. Yeah. yeah, it's gonna be if we include any live recordings on the best of. This might be the one.
1: Yeah, because we did uh, for the best of the '60s, the Silly Boy Blue live yeah. on the BBC.
0: And we're going to rescind putting Width of a Circle Studio version on Best of the Spiders. And For the,
1: uh, Hammersmith the Hammersmith performance, right. Hammersmith one, oh, yeah. that's such a good one. It's like Mick knew it was his last one, because he knew... He it. did know, yeah. he did know, yeah. Yeah. What else do we have on this album that's interesting? Well, uh, Warzawa. Well, okay, actually, it's not pronounced Warzawa. Uh, oh. Somebody on t- Jack 55 on Twitter corrected us and said that it's, uh, the V's are actually pronounced as W's so uh the city warsaw that's how you say it that the, the, the pole it's the capital of poland i believe yeah. right you say it or you pronounce it as warsaw in english but it's actually warsawa in polish hmm. so the song so that's just i've funny. never said that I've, I've always referred to it in, in the wrong pronunciation but i got a kick out of uh, in the some of the live performances you watch during those ambient pieces i think it's this one in particular You see Alomar conducting the players, I think, because he was the musical director for this tour. Yeah. It's really neat seeing him in action. It's brilliant. You know, he's, you know, I kind of just pegged him as a straight rock guy, straight rhythm guitar guy. He's conducting. But he's, yeah, he's doing it. Yeah, I saw that. That kind of blew me away. I loved that part of the footage. I mean, this is why I love watching the footage, right? You You get to see things. You can't hear him moving his arms, but when you watch it, it's like, wow, this is, he obviously doesn't play on that song, so what does he do? He's the conductor. That was really, really cool to me to watch.
0: Yeah, and I love... You can see things that go right and things that go wrong when you, when you get to see it. You see the context of it. It's, like, cool. Reminds me of uh, one of the times we saw Paul McCartney. It was in the middle of... Or not the middle. The beginning of Letting Go, which is one of my favorite Paul solo songs or wing songs. And one of, their, one of the guitarists' guitar wasn't working. It cut out. So the other guitarist, like had to play both parts and kind of just like did it. But it was so different from the rest of like, I've seen that song so many times with, you know, on YouTube and Mm. heard it differently, but it was just like a different version. I remember thinking like, oh, this is great. Like this will never happen again. This is a unique thing. And being there or seeing it can create that same thing where you're like, you get a little bit of context sometimes, or it's just like, you know, in addition to you, you get, yeah, it's just, there's more to it we're we're definitely on the same page with uh, concert DVDs are better than live
1: albums. Yeah, by I, landslide. And I mean even just like a, when that Get Back Beatles documentary came out like my first immediate because we we're, we're actually watching the studio versions of songs right being yeah. being cut. My immediate reaction was just well uh, now I want more. Now I want to watch every album being created. And yeah. I, and I want to watch not only the you know the live performances but <laughs> I want to watch the studio performances too, yeah. right? Like,
0: Well, now I'm going to sound like a jerk, but like, I want to hear or I want to see all of that footage too because they cut that down significantly. Eight
1: hours out of like 72 or right. something like that or and
0: maybe maybe more. Something that I want to see is, you know, they're struggling through the song. Like, you know, George leaves for a while and comes back. They're struggling through a lot of things, but I want to see – more of the pulling lines and, and really, really working things through and just the formation of the songs and the album. Like maybe to the casual viewer it's you know, it's enough. But <laughs> I, I'm I want more. I wanna see yeah. an extended cut where you can really see them digging deep and, and pulling things together and just seeing the creative process like in its entirety. Because you know, even when they show Get Back getting written, you know, right off the hop. It's, it's like, done cinematically. Y- it is.
1: And it's it's great for that. It is. But there's that yeah. other part of it that we want also. Right. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. And I mean, obviously, David Bowie's studio material would be great stuff to cover because he, like, <laughs> yeah. you know, the oblique strategies oh, and, uh, yeah. you know, and, and all that stuff. I mean, watching them bang out Boys Keep Swinging on the the next album, or I guess the next episode. That would doing his, cool, yeah. You know, watching Alomar get told to play the drums and watching him do it in this great kind of garage way. I don't know. I, I, you know, obviously maybe we're being a little too spoiled here and a little too ambitious, but in a perfect world, man.
0: Yeah. We see it all.
1: (laughs) Footage is, uh, I mean, footage is great. Yeah. I, you know, and that's why uh, it was a lot more fun. I think getting ready for this episode and doing this as opposed to the, the cracked actor episode we did the, uh, the diamond dog story. There just wasn't really much to watch. Right. Yeah. It was was,
0: him in the back of a limo for just,
1: yeah. Watch him in the back of the limo drinking milk and uh, listening to David Live, which isn't the greatest live album. Uh, you know, this is a better album. There, there's better footage out there. And uh, Well, and
0: there, apparently there's supposed to be a live footage release. Uh, but Bowie didn't like the way it was shot or it didn't quite meet his standards. And by the time, maybe he, he didn't have time to reconsider because he was on to the next thing or whatever. But I think some of that footage is going to show up on this new documentary, Moon Age Daydream. Nice. Yeah, I saw a lot of it in the trailer. And, oh, am I excited for that, by the way. We talked about that with, let's just say it, friend of the pod, Mike Garson, yeah. last time. We are going to name drop him until this podcast is over because, well, we can now. <laughs> yeah, He, he oh.
1: provided incredible insight. Oh, that was, was, that was fun. I didn't realize he was going to be at his piano. That was really, really cool. And, you know, he'd mention yeah. something, and he'd be like, oh, this is... Like when he was talking about outside and like know, this. talking yeah. about, yeah, well, you know, this is how we would, you know, we'd improvise, blah, 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 I'd play something like this on the piano, and that's how this Heart's Filthy Lesson came about. It was like, <laughs> I mean, we could have done that for... I could have watched him do that, like, all day, you know, <laughs> that was something else.
0: Yeah. Uh, speaking of Garson, there's a synth part. I think it's synth, or maybe it's the piano. So either Roger Powell or Sean Mays in Fame... We're talking about highlights from this tour and this, you know, the versions. There's a part in one of the instrumental breaks where there's a really like kind of pipe organ sounding churchy solo that just sweeps in. And it, it's kind of Garson-esque, but you don't expect it in the middle of fame. It just kind of gives it, It's I don't know, if, it's, it's the mode that they're playing in that gives it just a different feel that you're not used to on a funk song like that. That's one of the highlights for me.
1: Another highlight has to be that extended intro on the Welcome State, to the Black o- Station to Station. Station to Station, yeah. Oh. Is that, believe, like, what, that's got to be believed. Yes. Is, is it's that, a, did, like, what are those noises? It,
0: it's a five-minute intro. Yeah. I, I counted it. it it's, and it's actually over three minutes until, like, the first dun, dun comes in. Yeah. So it's like, you know, the part that sounds like a helicopter for, like, three and a half minutes. Motorcycle,
1: I think like I heard in there, too. Yeah. Like. <laughs>
0: To play that for five minutes before he says, "You know, the Return of the Thin White Duke." That's pretty cool. Yeah, that that's that's a highlight for sure.
1: What else was very good? Um,
0: what in the world starts off slow, almost reggae, and it's reggae, and then it picks up. It picks up halfway through, and they that do it have, again fast. That's I mean, obviously cool.
1: they were well rehearsed, but that must have been hard to. I mean, how do you know to? collectively i guess there's a bar or whatever you where you pick it up and you go from there but i think the musicianship really shined on that because it's not easy to just play slow yeah. and then all collectively there's a like 10 musicians you know they're tight to, to all do that yeah. you know at the same time
0: well and on that point so on the stage version of station to station they had to mix together Visconti did uh two versions from that song so from two nights mm-hmm. i can't remember which two it was but The first bit was taken from one show. The middle bit was taken from a different show. And then the last bit was taken from the same show as the first bit. So uh, kudos to the band and I guess particularly Dennis Davis for keeping the timing the same Mm
1: -hmm. every
0: night. Because you can't just do that uh, if the timing's off or if the the tempo is off. I mean, you, you could use you could slow it down or speed it up or whatever, but only to a certain point because then you're going to go flat or sharp. Yeah. So, like, you know, he kept it pretty consistent. I mean, I guess that might not be the hardest thing, but, I mean, it's got to be pretty precise for that to work seamlessly, and it you can't tell when you listen to it. So, yeah, great job to the band on that, and also Visconti for, you know, pulling that off.
1: Looking through the track listing here. Speed of Life, uh, that was kind of one of the more uninspiring. Really, I, the... I like that one. Really? The, um, the,
0: the the guitar tone at the end of it, it it's uh, the video game sounding
1: kind of glitchy thing. I, I kind of like that. I I don't know, I it just sounded like flat or something to me. I, eventually it was dropped from the set in favor of, uh, I can't even remember what it was. Maybe it was Whiskey Bar or something, I can't remember. But they, I think they eventually stopped doing that one and I was going to say I kind of can see why, but I guess you... you I don't mind it. it. I I think
0: it's good. I I mean, I don't dislike it, that's for sure. I I do like the ending of it with that guitar. It's not,
1: like, terrible, but it's just, like, you know, I I don't know. It was definitely one of my more least favorite performances, um, and it's one of my favorite songs, too, so I'm very lukewarm on that one. Breaking Glass was okay. The thing that was most interesting about Breaking Glass to me was that you can kind of hear some of these songs that had fade outs on the record get like a proper resolution because he, he, right. he ends that with I never touch you, I never touch and you, the, I never, he goes on forever. That, and that's acapella. cool,
0: acapella, yeah. yeah. That, that's the one thing, you know, I was listening to that in headphones. I was doing some landscaping and I was listening to that in heads in headphones and it just, for a second, I was outside and not at a concert. <laughs> that's far from it. Yeah. But I closed my eyes and I, I was there. And something about that acapella version, it just made it feel very... I felt like I was at the show almost. So something about that, I guess maybe it was just so different from the album version yeah. that it kind of transported me there just with listening to it with headphones on.
1: I think I may have read somewhere too that like when they were doing that part of the song, Bowie would kind of creep to the front of the stage. And I, I don't know if he was actually touching whoever's in, in front of him in the audience or if he was like kind of doing it, but you know, that was kind of yeah. another one of those ones where... Too slow? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Another one of those great... Uh, Snapshots of him being a great performer, right? You know, he's all now it's all of a sudden the lights were probably just on him, right? And it's a cappella. Now he's going to the front of the crowd. I mean, they were probably just having the time of their lives watching that, right? Yeah. Another yeah. one of those reasons why you know the the footage or being there or both is, is kind of a little bit better than just a live recording on a record or on a CD or your streaming service or whatever. So, but yeah, breaking glasses performance maybe was just average but the ending was definitely very cool to hear to hear a uh, a deviation or a variation from the the original
0: yeah i've got a note on stage bowie argued with rca that it should be considered because it was a double album it should be considered two lps like two releases so at this point he's kind of getting fed up with RCA and he's going, I want out of my obligation. So I guess yeah. he was signed on for another three or four records and he thought, I want to get out, so let's count this as two. And mm-hmm. he he cited David Live uh, as setting precedence because that was considered two albums, apparently. Oh. He cited it, so it must have been you know the basis of his argument. Uh, but he lost. and He still had to do, <laughs> I guess, an extra few. And that's probably why Changes to Bowie comes out. Because he does Lodger on RCA. He does uh, Scary Monsters on RCA. They put out Ball on RCA, and I think that maybe counted, and then changes to Bowie mm-hmm. counted.
1: Because Let's Dance is an EMI. EMI, yeah. yeah, is
0: when he changes. Interesting that he was trying to pull a fast one, maybe. Or maybe not, just trying to, you know, hey, you did this yeah. once, let's do it again. Let's get out of this contract. The album did okay in the... In the in Britain it went uh, number five and didn't do well in the US. Forty four it peaked at. So
1: He never did as good in the States, eh? Well, yeah.
0: What were they listening to in seventy eight? I don't know. Uh,
1: the Boss. Boss Skaggs. <laughs> yeah, uh, Walter White's favorite band. Right. I was just watching that episode recently. I'm actually uh, not a huge huge fan of breaking bad i think better call saul is just miles ahead of that show personally just in terms of character arcs and things of of that nature but uh, not to say breaking bad's a horrible show by any means that's you know there's some funny moments and i kind of thought that was cool of course walter white's a boz Skaggs guy and not a, <laughs> and not a david bowie guy
0: right <laughs> speaking of shows i just watched pistol or pistols it was a docu series but bio, or bio-docu-bio-series, done a biopic. I don't know. It, it was with actors acting it out. But it was actually really well done. I thought it was phenomenal, actually. Like six or seven episodes.
1: Do they touch on PIL at any point in that?
0: Uh Not really. I mean, they show Johnny Rotten leaving the pistols towards the end, but that's kind of it. They don't, they don't really touch on it. They do and- at the beginning of that show, though show Steve Jones stealing the, or ganking the gear from the Hammersmith Odeon Bowie show. And they actually show footage from, uh, from the Ziggy motion picture, which is neat. And they drive away listening to, I forget what it is, Starman or something. But I thought that was kind of cool. They actually cited that at the beginning of the entire series. It starts with them stealing Bowie's equipment, as we touched on on the Ziggy tour episode.
1: That's funny, because... Starman's like the last song I could picture the the pistols driving off. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Hang on to
0: yourself is what I pictured. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Moon Age Daydream. Yeah, like not that one, but or it may, you know, I doesn't can't remember. quite fit the Pistol's Star- image. Starman
0: is in the show. They like One of them sing or something. Chrissy Hind is in the show, and I think it might have been her that was singing that. That's why I had it in my head. It might not have been what they were singing, <laughs> leaving. I mean, I'm not saying you're wrong. I haven't seen this, but I'm just having a hard
1: time picturing. You know what? It actually <laughs> might
0: have been Moon Age Daydream. You know, it actually was, now that I think okay. of it. Starman came later. I, I I didn't think I'd have to think that hard on it, but yeah.
1: And, like, it's just a funny, like, not even just for their image and just in general, but just the idea of stealing something and then you're, there's a star <laughs> man waiting in the sky. You just committed a crime. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. The Pistols, I mean, I, I'm a fan of, you know, their album. I, I like them, but I've always preferred Public Image Limited, uh, just better musicians, jaw wobble on bass, uh, second edition, and even the first album. Just some incredible bass licks. I don't know. I mean, the pistols are... You know <laughs> the bass what, this, is
0: better than Sid's bass. <laughs> well, yeah, no kidding. Well, Glenn uh, Matlock got, you know, the short end of the stick there. He's a great bassist.
1: But uh, I've always loved EMI. Oh, we just God. mentioned EMI, the label, yeah. Bowie. But EMI, the song, is like, that's that's the song to me. Like, that's their... Their best song. It, yeah,
0: either that or I like No Feeling. E- no, EMI is the best. Pretty vacant. Oh, man. yeah. That, EMI is
1: just one of the best albums. What a great way to close a record.
0: Man. Yeah, yeah, totally. So unless you have anything to add to the Isolar 2 tour episode, that's it for me.
1: Um. Well... I guess there's we, there's some songs near the end of the Blackout album that we can maybe talk about. Sure. Like, yeah. uh, I don't have much written for Stay. I just put blue. Yeah, that's <laughs> all you gotta say. Say no more. Um, T.V.C. 15 That's. Uh, I mean, I I'm not like crazy about this version, but what I do like about these 1978 uh, Isolar Two versions are that. Uh, the originals or, or the original, like just the album version of TVC15, I, I find it to be driven more by the bass. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And these these live renditions are, I think they're more driven by Alomar's, like his funky kind of. Uh, yeah. Like, you know, his funky, like, like that really scratchy classic funk sound, right? It, it makes uh, the track much more of like this outdoor tiki bar or something party tune kind of, right? Well,
0: that and the sax. The sax playing that do-do-do-do-do throughout the entire first verse, uh, which Sounds I like think Diamond Dogs, he, well, it does actually. <laughs> and he stole the lick, but it's uh, I think it's played by a guitar on the album version. But the sax version of it, which it's very present, or the sax uh, playing on that version is very present. And I also really like the. Just the banter going on, in yeah, the yeah. And you can actually on this one, you could really make it out, especially on stage. You can hear everything they're saying. At one point, I think uh, Almar says like, "Oh, they're just a bunch of horn dogs." Yeah, they're just
1: <laughs> random shit they're just saying. Just talking.
0: Uh, yeah, that's fun.
1: Uh, so yeah, I mean, like the rhythm is more partyable. The the that banter. That you just mentioned is is much more partyable. I think the entire thing is just a, a more partyable version of TVC15. So the
0: back and forth o o o's are better on this one too. The the, the one s- on the Isolar One tour, they were too stoned or something. They couldn't get it.
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, and I think it might be the Welcome to the Blackout version where the the, res- the response o o o's are a little quieter, and I kind of like that because kind of do I, 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 I kind of don't, yeah. don't like those. <laughs> This is a little, but you know I I I the point of this version though is it, it's just chaos. They're, oh 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 oh. They're having people, fun. People yeah, like I get that's it. That's the thing about
0: this tour is Bowie was letting loose and having fun. He's got a smile on his face even when he's playing the dark things because he's almost like yeah. looking at his body of work and going like like let's let's give these songs let's just do these songs justice and share it with this crowd. Like I mm-hmm. I think he's in a Bowie's happy and healthy and about to head out and do uh, one of my favorite albums,
1: and then what is the encore? Is Rebel Rebel, right? No, oh, yeah. Uh, those have uh, I don't like those. La 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 la. I've always hated those, but you know, like in this context, though, the kind of happy, fun. It, yeah. context this tour. Now's like, you the know,
0: time like, to
1: do I, it. I, I'm not going to be that guy sitting there and being an asshole and they pick it and say, nope, I don't like it. Take it out. Like, no, like it, it represents the vibes of this tour very well. So it's, it's, it's the right thing to do here. Yeah. Uh, and, and yeah, I mean, I, over and above all, I'm just, I'm glad we explored this section of Bowie's career. I don't do live stuff often. Uh, and so I don't, I actually haven't really listened to a lot of this stuff before, but uh, I think I will uh, maybe I won't listen to these songs that much but there's there's some stuff from this tour that will rotate in my my YouTube rotation and I think what's crazy too is that this is a rather large portion of Bowie's career that I kind of just glossed over before you know, like this this is Bowie 1978 you know. I always thought of Berlin as being this kind of tightly packed period of his career because there's like, there's Lowe, there's Heroes, there's, there's the Iggy album, there's The Idiot, there's Seven there's for Life.
0: This is what he was doing.
1: Yeah. And and then Lodger after this, right? Like, how many albums is that? That's like five albums or something all packed into this three year span, but nothing comes out in 1978. Yeah. You mentioned there's like 76 tour dates or something. Like, yeah. 1978, like it's almost all devoted to this world tour. And it's a fun tour. It's a great band. It's a. It's a new, lighthearted, fun, nostalgic side of David, and the, uh, I guess the beauty of doing this sort of magnified inspection of his career is getting to explore all these little nooks and crannies I wouldn't have normally bothered to explore, so I'm I'm really glad that we touched on this, because there's some footage and some versions of songs I hadn't heard before, and uh, it it was phenomenal diving into this little, not this little, this big period that I kind of, like I said, just glossed over, so...
0: That's interesting that, yeah, you glossed over it. I have an interesting reason why I, I didn't, and I was familiar with it. I remember when I first started university, I, the first time I was ever like, oh, I just don't want to go to class today. And uh, the University of Winnipeg is where I went. It's downtown. And I went to a, a, a clothing store and, and bought a shirt. It was a Bo- I saw a Bowie shirt. Oh, cool. And it was just it said Bowie 78. And I was thinking, like, what did he do in 78? And it, it had, like, a Heroes picture of him on it. And I thought, okay, cool. And then I realized, like, no, Heroes isn't 78. So why is it Heroes 78? And I mm-hmm. went, okay, stage this live. And then I, I found some stuff and I listened to it. And it was my first real. That, that kind of coincided with my first real discovery of the rest of Bowie, as we've talked about on previous episodes. I won't get into that. Fitting. Ah, see what I did there?
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh boy, that's it for me. Uh, we're here till Tuesday. Try the veal. <laughs> oh show us the way to the next whiskey-bar. I'll tell us why. I'll done ask why. Well we must find the next whiskey-bar. Or if we don't find the next whiskey-bar, i tell you it's time. I tell you we must die, I tell you, I tell you, I tell you we must die. Oh, moon of Alabama, it's time to say goodbye.